Everybody, welcome in. This is Getting Bullied, brought to you by PhilliasFlyer.com. I'm Mark Janone, and today, of course, well, not of course, but I have one of the finer writers at PhilliasFlyer.com co-hosting with me, Dan Silver. Dan, what's up, buddy? Mark, what's going on, man? We got regular season hockey to talk about. How cool is that? After like an off-season of, you know, freaking out about what's going on with the team, now we actually have regular season stuff to freak out about. It's great. Yeah, this is the stuff that actually means something, and this is like when this is when freaking out is justified. We just spent months and months freaking out about speculation, and now everything's set in stone. It is what it is, and we can all sort freak of. out for a justified reason. Sort of. I mean, I guess there's still things that aren't set in stone. So I think I think the Flyers fan base sort of likes being in a perpetual state of freaking out. So this is like perfect. I mean. We don't know what's going on with the defense. The forwards seem like they're settled, but there's still some question marks there. So it's uh, it's perfectly suits Flyers fans. It's lovely. It really is. But at the same time, it's not. So as we sit right now, we are two games into the season. And first game went well. Second game bored you to death. If you weren't tired enough from the fact that it started at 10 o'clock, then the game put you to sleep. Well, that's the Um, worst part, is we've got these home openers in opposing arenas on the West Coast. So not only are they, you know, they're supposed to start around 10 or 10.30, but of course they're all starting 20 minutes late because of all of the uh, ceremony, the pomp and festivity with the home openers. Let me just go on a a side note here. I have a huge problem with what the NHL did to open up this season. The fact that the Flyers, first of all, let me just do this. The fact that they're... Putting the 100th anniversary patch on on the jerseys, obviously still celebrating, still in the midst of that. The fact that the season opened and it wasn't original six versus original six for the first, like, for the first day, first two days, and also the 50th anniversary of the expansion, and the fact that it wasn't expansion team versus expansion team, like, the fact that the Flyers didn't play the Penguins on opening night is it's ridiculous. The fact that we, one of the greatest fan bases in the NHL, have to be put through the the dreck of staying up till 10, 10 30, 11 o'clock to watch our team play, it's ridiculous. The NHL has a huge problem with marketing themselves and all they care about on the national stage is shoving these outdoor games down their throats and it seems like the other regular season games, the I guess to them, the meaningless regular season games just get thrown by the wayside and they just throw the schedule together. However it works out, it works out. But how do you actually feel about it? That's what I want to know. <laughs> I've been sitting on this for days. Because, I can tell. Oh, my God. I just, I hate, I, like, I hate these 10-30 starts. Just, like, 
if you're gonna play East versus West, have it at a neutral stadium in the middle of the country. They have the money. Build a stadium just for interconference play, and everyone will, it'll work out for everybody. I liked for the Kings fans. They had uh, preseason games in like Singapore or Hong Kong. I think they had games starting at like I don't even know two thirty a.m. five thirty a.m. See that who's watching I've, that? Nobody's watching I that. I had a couple Kings fans buddies who were staying up at all hours to watch them over there. Are they employed? <laughs> they were. I don't know if they still are. I gotta circle back with you on that. <laughs> all right, stay tuned for that. But so let's let's get into the actual um, the actual games that finally happened. And I'm just gonna start with what everybody actually cared about going into this. Yeah, there was a defenseman and. Um, you know, all that, uh, how they were going to work that, and we will get into that because that is one of the bigger storylines. But the biggest storyline, the one that everybody was most excited about, the fact that our number two overall pick now has a real number and is playing in real games. Nolan Patrick, two games into his professional season, or his professional career, rather, is he one step closer to Wayne Gretzky or no? <laughs> Well, uh, you know, I think that uh, Nolan Patrick has had a pretty decent start to his professional career. Look, I mean, for a guy that was was injured most of last year and had a lot of concerns about that, just the fact that he stayed healthy all through camp and he, you know, has been healthy through two games, I think is a major plus. He's a second line center. We've got a a line that should be pretty dangerous with Jordan Wheel on his left and, and Wayne Simmons on his right. Um, Nolan Patrick is a phenomenal passer. To me, that's the thing that stands out the most about his game. He makes passes that I don't think most of the other guys on this team can make, and probably a lot of guys in the NHL can't make. He just seems to have that innate hockey sense that a lot of the superstars have. What I haven't seen yet from Nolan Patrick is the, the, the speed the burst of acceleration that he showed a couple of years ago in the juniors. And one of the things that really stood out to me about Nolan Patrick when you watch the highlights uh, is his shot. He's got a sensational shot, both one-timers and wrist shots, and we haven't seen that at all either. So I'm hoping that he's just sort of easing into his NHL career with some of the things that he's the most comfortable with. He's playing very well defensively. I think uh, he's very heavy on the puck. That's something that Ron Hextall and Dave Hextall like to talk about players that are heavy on the puck. So I think he's been good defensively. I think he's been heavy on the puck. And I think his passing has been excellent. I think that, uh, you know, there's some other things that I'm hoping as he gets more comfortable, we're going to see his elite shot, uh, a little more acceleration. That's one of the things where, look, he had offseason uh, core body, core muscle surgery, the same mm-hmm. type of stuff that Giroux and, and Gostaspare had it. I, it sounded like it wasn't quite as intrusive, but, um, you know, I wonder if, if it's going to take him some time to get up to speed, so to speak, because the, uh, the speed is lacking in his game and the shot hasn't been there, but I, you know, I've been pretty encouraged. Um, I preferred Nico Hishier to him and Nico Hishier had an absolutely phenomenal preseason. He's explosive. He looks like Pavel Bure to me. Uh, so, you know, I, I think that uh, I think it's going to take some time for the offensive game of Nolan Patrick to come around. I think he'll he'll rack up some assists. Uh, I think he's a very good hockey player. 
Um, and I think we'll see more as it comes along. I'm not ready to go goo goo gaga over him though yet. I too wanted uh, Nico Heischer instead. I wanted the um, like the pure score, the flashy offensive type that he obviously is. That's pretty much his entire game. But I'm kind of like the same thing with you. I mean, it, it is only two games, and you don't want to get, you know, you don't want to overreact to what you saw and what you didn't see. I mean, he's still adapting to the game, like you said. He's still, for the most part, getting used to the guys he's playing with. I mean, he's used to playing with guys that are beneath his skill level, and now he's playing on a line with guys that have a little bit more skill than he does. So he has to adapt his game to playing with better players on the same line as him. One thing that kind of stood out to me, and it was talked about, leading up to the draft and afterwards, something that he had to work on was his defense. And I actually think he's been pretty solid defensively. For a guy that, coming out of uh, Brandon, everyone kept saying how good offensively is his shot, his speed, uh, his passing ability. From what I saw, I don't know if you did, but from what I saw, I thought he was pretty good in the defensive zone. Yeah, he's very responsible defensively. He's always the first forward back. Um, in good position. I think that's one of the reasons why I don't think there was ever any thought that he was going to go back to Brandon. Um, I think that they had him penciled in as a second-line center, uh, third-line center from the start, and a lot of that is because of how solid he is and how professionally he plays the game. Um, and like I said, I think that the other stuff will, will come along with time. I, you know, I, I still think there's questions about what his offensive upside is. Um, what it's it's funny we played against San Jose the first game. One of the guys that he reminds me of is sort of like a somewhat smaller version of Joe Thornton. Um, you know, neither of them are absolute burners, but they have decent speed. And and Joe Thornton is so good at shielding the puck from players and finding open men that you know he sort of he reminds me a little bit of Joe Thornton. Um, but I think we we still don't know what his offensive upside is, and we're not going to find that out probably for a few years. And so I think it's going to be a process, but I don't think he's going to hurt the team. Now, the his line was absolutely dominated by the Jeff Carter line uh, yeah. against the Kings. I mean, their, their courses were really low. They were not getting many scoring chances. The, the Patrick line was much better against San Jose uh, than it was against the Kings. So, you know, hopefully, um, you know, it's interesting. I don't know what our matchup line is going to be against the other team's best lines. Uh, in the San Jose game, the Philippi line was out there against San Jose's best forwards. In this game, um, the Patrick line was out against the Carter line. So I don't know you know, how it's going to work out. There were games on the road, so we didn't have the ability to match up quite as we wanted to. But, you know, Nolan Patrick is probably the least of my concerns with this team at this point. I just am... Um, don't know yet what his offensive upside is. So I'm looking forward to seeing, seeing that develop. You're really good at um, comparing rookies to, like, all-stars in the <laughs> NHL. Uh, I've now heard, in the time I've known you, the time we've done a show together, I've heard Morgan Frost uh, is well, Sidney Crosby. Oh no, I, that's and now not I'm hearing said. Nolan Patrick is Joe Thornton. Okay, so well, we should probably that, win the Stanley Cup next year. What I to, to set the record straight, I said <laughs> that Morgan Frost 
looks and plays the game like Sidney Crosby. When you watch him skate and you watch him pass the puck, his mannerisms look like Sidney Crosby. He is obviously nowhere near as talented as Sidney Crosby. His style of play is like Sidney Crosby. And I think Nolan Patrick's style of play is a little bit like Joe Thornton. All right, all right. I'll let you off the hook with that one. So now we're um, – the big question going into this season – well, really, there was kind of two. Um, and it was, I guess it really just wraps into one super category, and it was the rookies. Which rookies were going to make the opening day roster? Everyone pretty much penciled uh, Nolan Patrick in. Really, as a third-line center, they threw a curveball at us, putting Giroux on the wing – and now, oh, wow, Sean Couturier is your first-line setter. Enjoy that, Philadelphia. You wanted him as a second line. Now he's your first. Whatever. It is what it is. But um, the big names were obviously the defensemen. Haig, Sanheim, Moren, uh, drawing a blank. Your, your boy. Come on, your president of the Oh, yeah, club. Phil Myers, my, my yeah. guy. And uh, as far as the forwards go, it was really just Patrick and uh, the big names were Patrick and Lindblom. Lindblom got sent down, who also got sent down, and I was thrilled about Matt Reed is not on this roster. That's great. Bury his he, ass in Lehigh Valley and let him deal with it. That's well, fine he might, with me. He might, he might be back soon. No. Um, nope. No. No. If so, Oscar Lindblom is not the first man to come up, if anybody gets injured, then we need to go down there pitchforks, torches, and start lighting shit on fire down at the uh, Wells Fargo Center. But what? how surprised were you when Oscar Lindblom didn't make the roster? Because I know you're big on him. Yeah, I mean, I like Oscar Lindblom a lot. He's he's not a flashy player. He's, he's again, one of these guys like Nolan Patrick is sort of uh, can be very workmanlike, is good in the corners, he's strong on the puck. And quite honestly, that's one of the reasons why I thought that he was going to make the team, right? He seems like Dave Hackstall's type of player. He's heavy on the puck. Uh, he makes good plays with the puck. He's smart. He's not going to be a defensive liability. So that was one of the reasons I was surprised that he didn't make the team. I think that one of the things that it came down to was if he was going to make the team, they wanted him on one of the scoring lines. So yeah. When they decided that the first line was going to be Couturier, Giroux, and um, Jake Voracek, who, oh, by the way, blocked me on Twitter today. We'll get to that later. But Did he? Anyway, oh, he, apparently he has like half of the fan base blocked. But oh, in so any he's event, like he's the Brandon Graham of the Flyers. That's what uh, that's what Bill Matz actually. I I hadn't even heard of that about that, but Bill Matz responded to one of my tweets from Broad Street Hockey and mentioned the same thing. Mentioned Brandon Graham, but yeah, so he blocks a lot of people anyway um so when they did that with the first line what it did was it took a wing position away right because now Giroux's playing left wing and Lindblom was going to slot in as a left wing so the second line left wing is Jordan Wheel the real problem with that got in the way of Oscar Lindblom was the fact that it seems like the Flyers are committed to having Dale Weiss on one of their top three lines in a scoring role Isn't so it it's, it's wonderful. So I think Dale Weiss would be perfect on the fourth line, but they wanted him on the third line playing left wing with Filpula and Konechny, and that would be that would have been a logical spot for Lindblom. But I think that because they want to give Dale Weiss a shot there, he's, listen, he's got three years left on his contract, including uh. this season. 
hey, hey, it's bad. But, I, you know, seems like he's not one of the veterans that are ready to give up on like they were with Matt Reed. So that was a problem for Oscar Limbaugh was like early in in camp in the early games. They had him in the slot position on the first power play unit, right? They need a left-handed shot. Lindblom makes perfect sense there. They had him on there. It lasted about half of a game. The power play did not look good. They moved Philpula into that role, and it seemed like ever since that point, Lindblom didn't really get a chance to make this team. And I think it was then they sort of decided that he was going to be with the Phantoms. Um, You know, look, he'll probably put up some good stats with the Phantoms. He did before there he was there i think uh two years ago at the end of the season he had like a stint with the phantoms and was one of their better players so he'll be probably playing on a line with mikhail vorobiev who you know that i love yes. uh, i think those two together will be very good i think Lindblom will put up some big stats i think if a forward in the top nine gets injured i think that we may see oscar Lindblom up so i guess that by the end of the year he'll be up with the flyers so that was a little bit surprising um you know Matt Reed, I think he's going to be back up soon because I think the reason that they sent him down was because they had to carry eight defensemen on this trip because Gostas Bear was injured at the beginning of the trip, mm-hmm. um, the final preseason game. So I think that's why they had to send Matt Reed down. I think he's probably going to be coming back up, uh, but it probably won't. I know it probably won't be until next week. But who knows? Listen, it's very hard to predict what these guys are going to do. So. You know, I think that's the forward situation. Um, the defensemen, obviously, are greatly in flux, right? I mean, yeah. they're carrying eight. It sounded like they were going to have two rookie defensemen starting and uh, have Brandon Manning as the seventh defenseman. Well, then Shane Gossesbear gets injured, and they bring both Morant and Sanheim on the trip. Obviously, Robert Haig, they sort of already told him, told him he made he made the team so it looked like it was between Sandheim and Moran uh Hextall had said to the press that he wasn't going to have a rookie on the team to sit and then the first game Brandon Manning who people thought was going to be the seventh defenseman actually was in the lineup which infuriated people right you've got McDonald yeah. and Manning in the lineup this Manning was not great McDonald was also not great in that first game it doesn't seem like McDonald's going anywhere. He's going to be on that first pair with Ivan Provorov, it seems like, for the foreseeable future. Uh, but we were hoping one of those other two defensemen. Uh, so uh, Gosses Bear was healthy, so him and Haig played together. Then we were hoping that one of the other two defensemen, Sanheim Moran, would be in the lineup. Sanheim did play against the Kings, and it was not Moran, it was Sanheim. And he was okay. He was very shaky in the first and second periods. He seemed to be getting some confidence in the third period. We don't know what's going to happen in Saturday's game against the Ducks. Then there's Tuesday's game at Nashville. I read something online that suggested that they might not make a decision on which defenseman is going to get sent down until before the home opener, which I, I think is maybe next Friday, potentially. Oh, uh, the 15th, so, I believe it is. Right. So, um, you know, it's very unclear what's going to happen. I think even against the Ducks, we don't know if it's going to be Manning back in the lineup. Is it going to be Sandheim again? Is it going to be Moran? Um, my personal belief is that it looks like Sandheim won the competition for that defense spot. And they like uh, the Ghost-Hague combination because Ghost can play his natural left side. Because Hague is, is a lefty, but he can play the right side. 
And then I think they like Gudis and Sanheim together because you obviously couldn't put Gudis and uh, Morant together. They're very similar types of players. So I think that just from a fit perspective, if they want to have Ghost with Haig, the other combination needs to be uh, Sanheim and Gudis. And then Manning is the seventh, and maybe Morant starts the year in the AHL. Um, but who knows? I guess we'll we'll find out more about that in the coming days. Yeah, that was um, <clears throat> it was an interesting way for Dave Haxall to kind of start the season. Kind of this is like because really this is his like this is his season to prove that he's better than he's looked. Like if they don't make the playoffs, he's got to be. I know, like, I don't expect them to make the playoffs, first off, because I think there's going to be too many growing pains, and it doesn't seem like he hasn't figured out of what the hell he wants to do. So I don't expect him to make the playoffs, first of all. If he does not make the playoffs, he has to be, like, like he has to be on some sort of hot seat. They can't just keep rolling in year after year with this guy, and... Ron Hexel always coming out and saying we have the utmost confidence, we have the utmost confidence, we have the utmost confidence. He's got to light a fire under the coach's ass so he knows that he has to start making correct decisions. We're already running into this thing like we did last year. Last year it was Matt Reed. Everyone was banging their head against the wall. Why is Matt Reed in the lineup? Why is Matt Reed in the lineup? And now this year... It's the same story, different player. We're constantly stuck with these guys that are just, they are, they're not good. They cannot play. This year it's Dale Weiss because he's under an awful contract that nobody talks about of why Ron Hextall gave him the contract that he did. Dale Weiss should have been a one to two year guy. And he's around, I think, what's it, five years he signed him for? Four years. Four years. He's got Ridiculous. three left. Yeah shouldn't be he's not a that's not the type of guy you give a four-year contract to so I don't really have much faith at all in Dave Haxtell because we saw him last year how he played with the young guys we saw how connecting for whatever reason struggled to get in the lineup Jordan Wheel struggled to even be on the team and then you saw when he came on the team how well he played scored in the first game on a great shot and, like, you saw in the first game, the two of them, those are the perfect examples, Jordan Wheel and Travis Konecny. Travis Konecny was all over the ice the entire game. He was in, when he was on the ice, it seemed like he was in every play. He was sticking his nose in and doing something. And Jordan Wheel obviously produced the goal. So, there comes a time where you gotta just throw these guys out there, which they have for the most part. They're out there, they're doing it, but you saw, I believe it was last night. I'm getting, these games are running together because I'm half asleep and I'm watching them. Um, I think it was on a power play, and you had Haig in front of the net. He couldn't clear the guy out, and it was, they deflected a goal in. Had that have been Moran in that spot, the bigger body, probably the goal would not have happened. So, if you're asking me, Dave Haxall needs to just figure it out and figure it out fast because we've all seen it where if you kind of go into this influx, you don't really know what you're doing. You don't really have a plan. You're figuring it out on the fly. Shit can start to go downhill real fast and it's hard to dig out of that hole. Yeah. Look, the, the Eastern conference is so good that 
Except the Penguins, apparently. Yeah, the Penguins. That was 10 to 1. Unbelievable. That was wonderful. Uh, that, that was that that was great to see. Although I don't really like the Blackhawks either, but it's no. it was still it was still great to see that. Let um, me ask you this real quick, because um, I obviously follow you on Twitter. What got you uh, tighter in the pants? Was it the passing plays by Patrick Kane in that game, or the fact that Pittsburgh got blown out? Uh, well, I mean, I love yeah, I love the fact that Pittsburgh got blown out. I, I just. I like watching, you know, great hockey players make great plays. And I don't like Patrick Kane um, as a no? person, but no. But is, it, is um, this a 2010 thing? Yeah, I didn't really love when he beat up the taxi driver. And then also, you know, scoring that goal against the Flyers was sort of a lasting, lasting memory. But uh, he just he doesn't seem like a great guy. I've never met him, but, um, you know, I guess you beat up a taxi driver. It's hard to imagine. Uh, someone doing that who uh, I'd want to spend much time with. But anyway, he's a phenomenal hockey player. And the passes he was making last night were, were incredible. Um, and this, the goal he scored was also incredible. So I love watching him play, but I uh, don't like the Blackhawks. Um, don't like the Penguins either. But it was great seeing the Penguins get blown out. Uh, but you're right. If you get into a deep hole early in the season and you don't have Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin on your team, it's probably going to be hard to make the playoffs look it's uh if you told me that the flyers after the first two games were gonna have three points i'd probably take it right because they're they're starting on the road at san jose one of the better teams in the league and at the kings who missed the playoffs last year but you're playing them in the tail end of a a a back-to-back um it looked the game at anaheim's gonna be really tough the game in Nashville's gonna be really tough Mm -hmm. then they come home and they play what the the uh the capitals that's gonna be really tough so it, the, the the schedule will work itself out. Um, if they can sort of grind along and get some points along the way here early, it will be good. Look, I I think we don't know how much of these lineup decisions are being made by Ron Hextall. Like if, if Ron Hextall is pushing for Dale Weiss to be in the lineup and, you know, Dale Weiss is the reason why this team is struggling to make the playoffs – towards the end of the season, the fact that he played in however many games he's going to be playing in, then it's not just on Dave Hextall, it's also on Ron Hextall. Uh, I think the power play looks much better with the addition of the new assistant coach, uh, Chris Knobloch. Um, so I think there's some real things to be positive about. The, the new fourth line is phenomenal. That line was probably our best line last night. Yeah, um, absolutely. Lawton, Lear, and Raffle have been really great together. Lear and Lawton together on the PK have been a revelation. Um, you know, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I think that, uh, you know, that third line is just like you mentioned. To me, Travis Konechny was far and away our best forward in the preseason. And now you're burying him on a line with Dale Weiss and Valtteri Filpula, <laughs> who is not getting any younger. He's 33 years old. He really hasn't shown me much. I think it's only a matter of time before they take him off the first power play unit because he looks horrible in that Braden Shen slot position. So Konechny stuck on that line. I, like They're going to have to figure it out. I mean, they look, it looks like they're committed to this Giroux, Couturier, Voracek first line. If that's the case, those guys need to produce even strength because you are very much weakening the third line particularly by putting those three guys together so last night when you are in a one nothing game in the third period you need those guys to go out there and score a goal right they're supposed to be 
your three best forwards, three of your four with Wayne Simmons in the mix. Mm-hmm. Um, but those are the guys that are supposed to turn it around. That's why they're together. So that line's going to have to produce. And I don't know what they're going to do with Dale Weiss. He just is not a fit on that third line. So let's see how committed they are with him. Um, you know, I like the, the second line a lot with Wheel, Patrick, and and Simmons, even though they got dominated by the Kings. I think that uh, that line will be pretty good. So, look, are they a playoff team? I don't know. The goalies were phenomenal. Brian Elliott was was very good in the first game, and Michael Neuvert was spectacular in the second game. So if the goalies are going to play like that all season, uh, this team has a decent chance to make the playoffs. I think it's I think it's going to be close. Right now, if you put a gun to my head, I would probably say no, but I think it's – I think it's going to be very close. I'm 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 somewhat encouraged by some of the things I've seen. I was I was very surprised first of all. Well, I'm not, I don't want to say surprised, but I was pleased with the play of both goalies. That's why in a way it was good that you had the back-to-back to open the season cuz you knew that one was getting one game, the other was going to get the other game. But the problem the Flyers have ultimately is there is a severe drop-off in talent when you go from your how you mentioned the four the top four guys Drew Voracek Simmons and um I don't know whoever you want to yeah well I don't put him in the top four but whatever so really just the top three there's a big drop off and the problem is they have so many guys on this team that are by and large the same player by playing style. Claude Giroux, Nolan Patrick, they both have that pass-first mentality. They're playmakers. Wayne Simmons isn't a – like, he's a goal scorer, but he has to park himself in front of the net. He gets the garbage goals in front, which is a great guy to have. But ultimately, when it's a game like last night, when you are one nothing in the third period, that's not doing much help for you because you don't have anybody beyond him or in front of him that is going to get a clear enough shot – to where the screen he has on the goalie is going to do anything. So they have too many of these players that are just good at one particular thing, and it, none of it is putting the puck in the net consistently. Even their top guys. Voracek is probably the most pure goal scorer they have in the top six, and he's hasn't done much so far. He hasn't done much last year. He is somebody that... He's a guy that you would expect to have the 30 goals rather than a guy like Wayne Simmons, but obviously that's not the case. So there's nobody on this team that has that ice in the veins mentality to where, okay, we're down, the puck's going to be on my stick nine times out of ten when I'm on the ice, and I'm shooting every chance I get. Right now they just have a bunch of guys that are trying to make plays, and they're passing too much, there's not enough shots on the net. I, I think you've hit on one of the biggest problems that I see so far with the team. Um, but Voracek is not – I mean, Voracek, the most goals he's ever scored in a season is 23. I mean, he's he's a pass-first player. Giroux is a pass-first player. Giroux used to be a guy who shot a lot more. He was deadly with that one-timer from the left face-off circle. And mm-hmm. it's he, he, I can't remember the last time he scored a goal from there on that one-timer. So Voracek's pass-first. Giroux is pass-first. Couturier's – pass first. Simmons, like you said, is a goal scorer, but the way he scores goals is by deflecting pucks in front of the net. I mean, his goals are scored right in front. Um, you know, Filpula is not a goal scorer. 
Uh, Dale Weiss is obviously not a goal scorer. Jordan Wheel, it, Jordan Wheel, and Travis Konechny might be the two best hopes for guys that are really good goal scorers on this team, but neither of them are. I, I still think both of those guys are almost sort of both more playmakers than goal scorers. So last yeah. night, when you need someone to bury the puck in the back of the net, you need someone who wants that puck on their stick and is not going to look to make a pass, but is going to put the puck in the back of the net like an Alexander Ovechkin. Um, they don't have anyone like that. And yeah. that that's a big problem. That was a problem last night. Uh, my friend Kevin Fortier from... Phileas Flyer, we get into it on Twitter quite a bit. I disagree with him a lot of the time. You know, yes. he went mental that the Flyers didn't take Alex DeBrincat in the second round when they took LeBears. He went mental when we didn't take Ellie Tolvin and over Morgan Frost. And I sort of, you know, I'll go at him and say, look, we've got a type of player that we like. This team is drafted very well. Um, but the reality is that they haven't drafted players like that. LV Tolvin is off to arguably the best start in the Russian Hockey League of any 18-year-old in the history of that league. He's a pure finisher. He's a high-volume shooter. He would have fit in perfectly. And the fact that they took Morgan Frost over him this year in the the first round with their second first-round pick speaks to the way that this organization looks at the type of player that they want. They yeah. don't want that kind of player, or at least they, they value other types more than that. And we're at the point now where we are going to need some of those types of guys on this roster. And I don't know if it's going to come via trade or if they're just banking on Jordan wheel and Travis Konechny becoming those guys, but uh, maybe Oscar Lindblom, but uh, they need some guys who, who have a killer, put the puck in the back of the net mentality right now. They don't. And that's going to hurt them. Yeah. I mean, look, it's not like, uh, Ron Hextall, like he saw it in L.A., the type of players that won those Stanley Cups that he was a part of. I mean, you look at, like, we haven't had the finisher shoot first guy, really, since Jeff Carter. Jeff Carter was that guy. When the puck was on his stick, he was looking to shoot majority of the time, and passing was just an afterthought with him. And that was a guy that L.A. went out and got eventually, after Columbus got him first. So, you absolutely have to have a guy that is a pure goal scorer. You need the guy with the deadly shot that can score from anywhere on the ice. Right now, the best shooter the Flyers have is a defenseman in Shane Gostisbehere. He, he's, he's played well. He, it's not being talked about much how much, how much he has changed who he was last year because last year he was the guy he got the puck on his stick and he was just winding up and shooting the thing as hard as he can and now he's just using his accurate wrist shot to weave it through the guys in front and get it deflected he's the best he he as a defenseman is more shoot first than any of the forwards on the flyers this is going to this is going to bite them in the ass more times than it's not this season because the real good teams, the teams that make the playoffs, make deep runs in the playoffs, win Stanley Cups, are the teams that have finishers. They're teams that have the guy that you put, look, we're down by a goal, two minutes left, and everything goes on him. They don't have that guy. They haven't had that guy in a while, a long while, and that's why we're in this lull, this rebuilding, and it's like you said. There are, there were goal scorers to be had in the draft, and they still went after the guy that's just going to make the plays. And 
it's going to eventually become a detriment to this team. Right now, it's yeah. not because they're still growing, and they're going to put they're going to say that well, these guys' games haven't developed yet. Okay, but we know what type of player they are, and when their game develops, we know what their game is going to develop into. It's not like all of a sudden a guy that is racking up. I don't know, 40 assists a year or something, is just going to flip the script and just be a goal scorer, and that's just who he's going to be. No, if a player plays one way his whole life, his whole career, through juniors, college, whatever, then when he gets to the NHL, obviously that's what they're going to work on and what they're going to try to get him better at. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I listen, I don't, I don't disagree with what you're saying. It's part of the reason why I'm almost glad we didn't, have the first pick instead of the second pick because I'm pretty sure that we still would have taken Nolan Patrick with the first pick because he fits in more with the system and the types of players that they want here. But, uh, you know, I think that, that Nico Ishier would have, would have been more of what the team needs. Like they're both great players and I'm not making it about that, but Mm -hmm. yes, ultimately we're going to need to, in all likelihood, find somebody who is a pure goal scorer. Again, maybe Oscar Lindblom develops into that. I don't know. Maybe Jordan Wheel, Konechny develop into that. But uh, maybe Wade Allison develops into that. I don't know. Uh, but but they're gonna. The, here's the good news: they're gonna have the assets to do that if they want. Um, you know, we've got all these talented young defensemen. Not all of them can play. Mark Freeman looks great. He's what is he like eighth on the youth depth chart? Uh, so they're gonna have some some bullets in the chamber if they want to make some trades um and Hextall I think has done a great job at accumulating assets we've got a number of additional young forwards that probably would bring a great deal in in trade value if he ever decided he wanted to trade them so I think we're in a really good position to add some of these players the real question now comes into will Dave Hextall and Ron Hextall realize what types of players they need on this team ultimately and the good news is that if this team struggles this year and they don't make the playoffs, that Hextall will both hold Dave Hextall accountable and he will also probably re-examine what he is doing. Like, I still have confidence in Ron Hextall to make the right decisions and have enough self-awareness to realize what he needs to do to try and take the best path to win a Stanley Cup with this team. So I think... That's the good news there. I totally agree about Shane Gossespierre. He's looked great so far this year. I think that both him and Sanheim and even Provorov to a certain degree are going to be guys that can score some clutch goals from the blue line, which I think is going to greatly help. Um, but yeah, they, at some point they're going to need to add some goal scorers, I think. My, um, my confidence in Ron Hextall I still have confidence in him, but the confidence right now, to me, is wavering a bit. He has shoved this whole, we're rebuilding, we're not going to, you know, make dumb trades and all that, which, for the last couple of years, is was cool. That's what we all wanted to hear. We wanted them to build, you know, a young farm, a good farm system and all of that. And he's done that. But right now, I see Ron Hexall as more of like a really, really good scout than I do a really, really good general manager. Because he hasn't, if you look at just general manager moves, and these are moves that aren't scouting and drafting players. These are moves of signing and trading. And, and yes, he has made some tremendous trades. I'll give him that. 
But again, I go back to the Dale Weiss signing. That was an awful signing. And I want to just see more, and even the Philpola, I don't know, you know, it is what it is. There's moves that, like, he made that just, I guess, needed to be made. But eventually, we're going to need to see if if the pure goal scorers not on this team, not in this system, then they're going to have to take some of these young assets and they're going to have to trade them for a proven NHL player, a guy that's already in the league. And that's what's going to have to happen. He's going to have to get creative in the next year or two to bring in players that are going to help this team start progressing forward because the Dale Weeses, the Matt Reeds, Philpolas, guys like that, all they're doing really is hindering the development of your young players because if your young players are just kind of, if they're not ever going to progress and make a playoff run, even if, look, I'm not saying go to the, go to the Stanley Cup, go to the East, the conference finals or anything, but just being there, just getting in that first round and seeing what it's like to be in the Stanley Cup playoffs is a huge, it's, it's, it's huge. It's great experience for a young team and these veterans on the team. And I'm not talking about the top guys. They are what they are, but these other veterans on the team are a, more of a hindrance than they are helping them. Yeah, again, I think I think they've got the long term in mind, so I think that they're they're willing to give up a little bit of uh, short term success if they think it's going to benefit them in the long term. I totally agree that it's important to get playoff experience. I don't think any team is going to go into the Stanley Cup playoffs for the first time with a young core and win the cup that first year. I think they're you know they have to go through the the playoffs at least once, get that experience. And like Toronto, maybe this year's got a much better shot um, of progressing far. You know, I think some of the good news is Phil Pula's contract is up at the end of this year. I would suspect that Mikhail Vorobiev will be a starting center on this team next year, probably the third line center next year. Uh, would likely be Vorobiev. I think Lindblom will be his winger next year. I think they'll probably find something to do with Dale Weiss, either buy him out or put him on the fourth line. Um, you know, I think that Brandon Manning will be gone. Uh, I think that this, I think next offseason, they'll find something to do with Andrew McDonald, uh, assuming that all these young defensemen still look like they're ready to play. So I think that the long-term vision is, is still there. Um, I agree about, you know, having to add a, a, a goal scorer, a pure goal scorer at some point. But, um, you know, I'm still very confident in the long-term outlook of this team. I think there's just going to be some, short-term pain along the way as we have to deal with guys like Dale Weiss and Andrew McDonald. By the way, Andrew McDonald, who I'm very critical of, and everyone is very critical of, he played a really good game against the Kings. I thought he was actually our best defenseman against the Kings. He was very good. Now, from watching him all year last year, uh, we know that that's sort of an aberration. But, you know, like he's not a terrible hockey player. Uh, he just is not a guy who should be making $5 million a year and playing the second most minutes on the team. Um, but uh, but I, I do think they'll have to do something with him this offseason because let's just say Sam Moran is the guy that they send out. You can't keep him in the minors. How much more is Sam Moran going to learn in the minors? He's, exactly. 22, he's 22 years old. He's already got his style of play pretty much down pat. They're going to have to create room for whoever the guy is that they send down now. And the only logical guy to 
to get rid of is McDonald. So I think this coming off season, they're going to have to get rid of him because if there aren't any, if let's say they send Sam Morant down, which it looks like they might, or even if they send Sanheim down, unless there's an injury, I don't think that guy would be coming back up this season because you're not, you've got Provorov, you've got Gostisbehere, you've got Gudis, you've got Haig, um, you've got uh, whoever of Sanheim and Moran make it, and you've got McDonald. So I don't know who's getting replaced there unless there's an injury. Well, so I was actually thinking about this whole defenseman situation last night. Maybe, just maybe, the player to move is not Andrew McDonald. Maybe the player to move is Radko Gudis. If he plays well enough, I was looking at his contract. He doesn't make that much. I think he's still signed for like three years. But if he's playing well enough, maybe that could be one like a deadline deal. Like, like they flip him to a team that needs a defenseman. And might not get much for him other than we're creating room for somebody to come up and take his spot because there's such this log jam because nobody is going to take Andrew McDonald with the contract he's making or with the money he's making for the skill level that he has. But somebody might take Radko Gudis because it's less money and he still plays a pretty good blue line. Yeah, I think look, I think we actually could get something for Radko Gudis. I think Radko Gudis is a, is a very underappreciated defenseman around the league, which might not help his trade value. But he's a guy who is sort of known for these dirty hits, right, that he's been suspended yeah. for. He's actually a very good defenseman. He's and got he's a very fixed hard... that, too. He's, yeah, he hasn't he's, been doing exactly. that as much. He's, he's been, he's been uh, you know, very disciplined. His contract, like you said, he's making 3.35 for the next three years. Um, if the Flyers think that Sam Moran could be a one-to-one replacement for Radko Gudis, I think that they potentially could look at moving Gudis at the trade deadline if they think that they can get a good return. I still think that I'd prefer to have him on the team. I love the idea of having Gudis on one pair and Moran on another pair so that you're looking at, you know, two-thirds of the time there's a guy out there on the ice that the other team has to fear. I kind of love that. Um, so I, I like Gudis on the team right now. I like his contract. But if, if they ever decided that, that they could get a lot for him and that Moran would be a good replacement for him, I would not be against shopping Radko Gudis. Well, um, now again, not saying this is going to happen, but it's something that they could consider. There is a uh, a pretty good player out in Colorado where there's a, there's a lot of trade talk surrounding said player and who can put the puck in the net. Now, obviously, Radko Gudis for Matt Duchesne straight up doesn't get done, but, and this is a move that Ron Hexel would just never make because it would require getting rid of younger players, but that is the, like, that's the exact move I'm talking about because in one move, you would be knocking out two weaknesses with your team. You would improve the goal scoring, and, well, not a weakness with the Gudis thing, but the, the fact that you would clear up that defense, that defense spot and be able to put in a Moran or whoever they want to put in in that spot. I just like yeah. Matthew Shade. I bring him up a lot because I like him a lot, and I think the Flyers are one of the teams in the league that have enough to get him away from Colorado because 
obviously they're shopping him. It's been talked. It was talked about all summer. Obviously, they want to get rid of him because he's the key to rebuild that franchise. And the Flyers are one of the few teams in the league that have enough arsenal to get him. He here's my problem with Matthew Shane is that he only has two years left on his contract, and then he's an unrestricted free agent. So I think we probably both agree that the Flyers are not a Stanley Cup contender this year. No. Um, and probably, well, not probably, but might not even make the playoffs. It's, it's also hard to imagine that they will be a Stanley Cup contender next year if we're assuming that they might not make the playoffs this year. So now we're talking about having to give up. We'd probably have to trade a guy like Travis Sanheim um, and maybe a first-round pick to get Matthew Shane. And do you really want to give up eight years of control of a potential franchise defenseman like Travis Sanheim for a player who's not even guaranteed to be on the team three years from now because he's going to be an unrestricted free agent, and I assume that he will try and find the best deal that he can. That's that's my problem with Matthew Shane. If, if we could get him for, you know... A, one of the one of the first round picks that we have this year, and a guy like Radko Gudis, maybe I'd consider that. But I I don't think you want to give up eight years of control of a potential franchise defenseman for a guy that might not be here when you become a Stanley Cup contender. See, well, the problem, well, not the problem, but the thing with the, with the Matthew Shane situation is Colorado's made it very clear they they want to trade him, and teams have called and teams have hung up because obviously the asking price for Matthew Shane is way too high for what anybody wants to pay. If it gets to the point where they, and it probably will if they don't move him, when it gets to the point that they the asking price drops, if they could do it just for draft picks and let's say two draft picks, Gudis, and a mid-level prospect and not a Sanheim, then why not? Because the Flyers will have the money when he's a restricted or an unrestricted free agent, if I could get it out. The Flyers will have the money to sign him if they want to. And why wouldn't he want to come here if the team is trending up like it should be at that time? Then why wouldn't he want to stay and be part of a nucleus of a potential cup contender two years after? when Two years after his free agency, if the Flyers aren't in the hunt for making a serious run at the at the cup, which would be four years from now, then there's bigger issues at hand than whether or not they re-sign Matt Duchesne. Yeah, maybe. I mean, you're going to have to decide if you want to re-sign Wayne Simmons. You're going to have to be shelling out monster money for Ivan Krovrov. You're going to have to be shelling out big money for Travis Konechny. Yeah. I'm not sure that the money would be there when, when Duchesne's up. Now, if they Duchesne came here and blew the doors off uh, and was phenomenal, then, you know, I, they'd probably make the money available. But I just, I still, you know, unless the asking price comes down, which at this point it's not, I'm not willing to give up one of our young defensemen for Matt Duchesne at this point. Well, the money is going to have to become available for somebody. At some point, they're going to have to sign somebody. So they have to, they have a lot of decisions because they have to figure out, and I guess the number one decision is Wayne Simmons if they want to re-sign him. And if they do, then a couple of years from now or whatever, they're going to have to find out. They're going to have to finagle the cap, finagle their money to bring in another top flight guy to put with him. Because 
at that time, Drew, Voracek, and, and those guys aren't going to be at the top of their game anymore. They barely are now. So you're going to have to bring in somebody that could complement and be that 1A or 1B to Wayne Simmons. If he can sustain what he's done, and we haven't seen any any reason to indicate that he won't. Yeah, you know, we could spend an entire episode talking about Wayne Simmons and the situation there and, you know, how many years he's going to want and how much money he's going to want and, and whether or not it's actually worth it, um, especially considering the contracts that we have Claude Giroux and Jake Voracek on. You know, how many more big contracts can we afford over the next six years, right? Giroux, I guess Giroux has, uh, Giroux has five more years on his contract and Voracek has seven more years on his contract. Oh, my God. Yeah, Voracek has seven more years at eight point two five million, and Giroux has five more years at eight point two seven five million. Jake Voracek is going to be—he's going to be like Brizgalov, and he's just—there's going to come a time where the Flyers are going to be paying him to either sit at home or play for another team. Maybe, maybe we'll see. There's big penalties these days for buying someone out. So. Oh, it's not—I mean, it's not going to happen soon, but yeah. I, there's no way he's on the team in seven years. I would, I would find, I <laughs> would be very not. hard pressed to believe that. Probably not. So it'll be interesting. But uh, you know, I think again with this team, I think there's a lot more to look forward to than uh, be concerned about. I think the lineup stuff will work itself out, um, and we'll have all. You know, what fun would Flyers Twitter be? And you know, unless we, uh, if we couldn't complain about Dale Weiss and Andrew McDonald, we wouldn't know what to do with ourselves. What do you uh? What do you got going on over there? Who me? You got some like sounds like chains or something. Oh yeah, you know what? I I fidget. I I've, I've got some keys in my hand that I was moving oh, around, but I've stopped oh, now. I don't want to. I don't want to. Uh, you know, um, cause any alarm to you or to the listeners. Well, I just didn't know if you were into something weird where you chain yourself up when you talk about the <laughs> flyers or something. No, 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 no. I uh, I let my girlfriend deal with that stuff. So. All right. Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> We're learning. We're definitely learning here on this uh this show. This is an I, educational program. It is. It's a little um it's not your uh you know, it's not your Sunday school program, no. that's for sure. You get but. some some foul language, you know, it's strewn across the show sometimes from you. Jake Vorchek blocked me on Twitter. Yeah, so, what's up with that? You, yeah, you, you so yeah, so so this morning I just I'm on Twitter and I see someone like, oh, Jake Voracek blocked me, and I'm like, why? And and it was Johan Gartner from Sweden. I was like, what? Why did he block you? He's like, I have no idea. So I'm like, oh, let me go see. And I was blocked too. Now, the only thing, I, the only thing I could think of was last night when Voracek had like a two on zero or two on one down low. He basically had a great shot opportunity, and in, he didn't take. And so I tweeted, Jake, shoot the puck. That was it. I didn't even tag him in the post. I didn't even know what his Twitter handle was before <laughs> I looked it up today. So all I said was, Jake, shoot the puck. And I'm now blocked. Well, and apparently, as, as Bill Matt said, he's two-thirds of the city. is uh, he's, he's, he's blocking. So now Jake Vorchak has me blocked on Twitter. I want to know if he goes through and just searches for his name and blocks people that say anything somewhat negative about him. Or does he have somebody else do that for him? Is he making eight point two five billion a year to to spend his time blocking people on Twitter? I don't know. Maybe don't point know. two five is uh, given to an intern or a, oh, an assistant. It could be. 
you know, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, I just thought it was funny, though. I will say this about, to go back to his contract, it could be worse. The Flyers could have a Alexi Yashin or uh, Rick DiPietro situation on their hands, who, yeah. It's like, and maybe that's just a New York thing because the Mets are still paying Bobby Bonilla from like the nineties. So, you know, you know, how New York teams get, they just start shelling out big money and they yeah. get burned. Yeah. Well, I guess the only one good news is he doesn't have a no movement clause. Like Giroux has a no movement clause. I think that's the worst thing in sports. In yeah, sports. So... That is the absolute worst thing for you right. to give power to the player on whether or not they could be moved is ridiculous to me. Ruben Amaro was famous for that with the Phillies. He just, he gave him out like candy on Halloween. Everybody that they signed had a new movement clause. Yep. I'll give one to Ivan Provorov and that's it. Yeah. No yeah. One else get, no one else is getting a no movement clause on this team. Not even, um, Sidney Crosby, Morgan Frost. Yeah. Well, he's got to come up and prove it first. Yeah. That'll be exciting. Another playmaker to throw in the bunch. They'll all just be, they'll just be <laughs> passing it back and forth. <laughs> And just wait for the Listen, wait for the, if you wait for the goalie the, to get tired if, and just lay right, down. If you pass the puck enough, the, the net will be empty eventually. Yeah. So that's what they're trying to do. I guess so. But I just want to see somebody uh, shoot. Like when Wheel, like nobody expected Wheel to make that shot that he scored on in San Jose. Yeah, so the more power of that play, would be nice. That was great because one of the Chris Knobloch's things is he likes generating shots on the power play off the rush, which not many power plays do. That's exactly how that goal was scored. That's um, like playing uh, NHL on Xbox or something. Nobody sets up the power play in a video game. They just right, exactly. You try to get the two on one, and you know that's that's video game shit right there. Yep. There's the, there's that foul language again. Yeah, you've got a lot of that foul language. We got to yeah, get one of those R-rated stamps on this podcast. I think there is. Yeah, it's it's re- it's it's marked explicit on uh on iTunes. Got it. Because I know yeah, how well, I am. And it's only going to get worse. This is not something that'll get better. The uh, F-bombs sp- the F-bombs are going to come out eventually. Yeah, the longer that Dale Weiss is in the lineup, the more F-bombs are going to come out. The, the longer he is a top n- uh, nine forward. Yeah. He, nine for exactly. Well, fourth line would be fine. Fourth line would be fine. I don't care. Put him on the fourth line. Fine. Yeah. I'd rather have Raffle up above him. At least he has some skill. At least he's yeah. shown. They don't like. They don't like Roth for some reason. He, I mean, he he's on the fourth line and he made the team, but he's playing the the least minutes of anyone on this team. And and I don't know if that's uh, a lot of it's because Lear and um, Lawton are penalty killing together. But uh, you know, Roffel's not been getting a whole lot of time other than even strength shifts with uh, with Lawton and Lear. Yeah, you know they were pissed when uh, Vegas took uh, Belmar and oh Roffle. my god, yeah, they were. They were banking on not having to have Raffle on the team this year, and let Vegas just, screwed let them. Let me just say really quickly, I want to give some credit to Dave Haxtell and Ron Haxtell because Whoa. what they've done with Scott Lawton is incredible. It right? is. Here's a, here's a guy who didn't really have a role in the NHL, was just up and back, AHL, NHL, never really looked great. And at some point, someone made the decision last year that he's going to go to the AHL and he, even though he could be one of the better offensive players on the Phantoms, that's not what he's going to do. He's going to go to the AHL, and he's going to learn how to be a fourth-line center. And they sent him there to do that, and he 
has been terrific this year. He's been a revelation on the Flyers uh, as the fourth line center. And I think that Hextall and Hextall really deserve a lot of credit for what they were able to do with him. I want to go real quick because we're getting long here, but um, a little bit ago you had mentioned that you didn't know how much control in the lineup uh, Ron Hextall has. My my thing here is if he has any, that's wrong. You have a coach in place for a reason. Let him do his job and set the lineup. I understand why Ron Hexall would want certain players in the lineup, but if you really want to give Dave Hexall a fair shake at being a coach, if you really want to truly evaluate his job, then just let him do his job. And look, if you're going to get burned, which they are, you're going to get burned on the Wies contract, you're going to get burned on it. That's just it. But the best players need to be on the ice, and it's up to the coach to decide who that is and when they need to be on the ice. Bottom line. Yeah, I mean, the GM's job is to, to field the roster, and the coach's job is to take that roster and, and do the best job he can with it. But it was Dale Weiss and Ron Hextall's decision. I assume they both discussed whether or not Oscar Lindblom was going to make the team. So that's all I'm sort of insinuating at is that people want to blast Hackstall for Oscar Lindblom being down when obviously it's also a Ron Hextall thing. So, um, you know, I think they both have a little bit to do with it. But yes, once the roster is set, it is up to Hackstall to optimize it, right? Although, here's the other thing. You've got Ron Hextall saying that he's not going to have a young defenseman on the team to sit in the press box every night. Well, that's basically saying that even though he's giving, um, you know, Hackstall a defense with seven defensemen, including two rookies, he's Hextall's quote was basically saying that Brandon Manning is probably going to be the healthy scratch most nights. So right. in that sense, he is saying something that has to do with what the raw, what the line of decisions are. You know what I mean? So they clearly, you know, talk about this stuff together and, 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 you know, Hextall's not going to give Hackstall one of these young defensemen to let him sit in the, in the, press box every night yeah all right let's uh let's wrap it up here we're gonna, we're gonna wrap it up a, yeah we're gonna do uh real quick what do you got a surprise no <laughs> okay i'm not i'm not i don't are we giving away a vacation package we are we're giving away a vacation to um antarctica okay i've always about, wanted to go thinking about moving a franchise out there nice but um we're gonna see we're gonna do a little uh nfl style picks for the week, wow. the Flyers. Okay. After this is fr- this is Friday, by the way. So in three days, everything we're saying right now will be irrelevant and outdated. Yeah. But, uh, just in case. All right. So they have two games between now, Friday the sixth, and next Friday the thirteenth. Ooh, chills. Um. So go ahead. Anaheim Saturday, and then Nashville on Tuesday. Are they winning both? Are they winning none? Are they splitting? What's happening? Okay, so I think Anaheim played in a very emotional game against uh, Arizona where they came back and they tied the game late. Uh, did they well, – hold on, let me look at the score. Did they end up winning that game? Uh, I went to sleep. I think it was tied 4-4. Um, all right, bear with me here. I'm just checking these scores, and everyone who's listening already, already knows. So, okay, so the Ducks came back, and they beat 
Arizona, 5-4. It was an emotional game. I think that the Flyers are going to beat the Ducks. I think that uh, I'll take the Flyers to win that game by a 4-2 score. I think we defeat... Yeah, I think we defeat the Ducks 4-2. to two. I think that um, – I don't know what they're going to do with the defenseman. I have a feeling they might come right back with Sanheim and put him in that lineup. Uh, you might have to. Just... Might have to. We'll see. If if they do, it's obviously a clear indication that he's made the team. Maybe they haven't decided yet and they want Moran to line up. We'll see. But anyway, I think they beat the Ducks 4-2. to two. I think they're going to lose to the Predators – I'm going to give them a point, though. I'm going to say they're going to lose to the Predators in a shootout, 3-2. Uh, to two. Wow. Lost in a shootout. Yeah, lost in a shootout, 3-2. to two. Where have I heard that before? Flyers lose in a shootout. So I think that we are going to get four points. Okay. Not bad. Not bad. What do you think? Wait. Wait. Did the point system change and I not know about it? I don't know. Maybe I'm just wrong. Well, if you have them winning uh, in Anaheim, oh, you know, you're right. Sorry, you're right. Yeah, I think they're going to get three points. Okay, I thought, I thought it like I was being serious. I thought it went out to three points for a win. Yeah, you know know. what? I was I was confusing the NHL with my roller hockey league. Uh, In my roller, in my roller hockey league, you get three points for a win and one point for a shootout loss. So, gotcha, gotcha. There you go. Um, what do you got? What do I got? Anaheim's always tough. They got a lot of talent in Anaheim. They, always, I feel like they always do. Corey Perry, Ryan Getzlaff, still Ryan Getzlaff. Ryan Kessler's had like a resurgence in Anaheim. I think this one's going to be close. I'm going to give them. I'm going to give them the loss in overtime. Okay. I'm going to say twenty-seven, twenty-four. Oh wait. Sorry, this is not football. This is not a football show. No, come on, no. Get your I'm head out of your ass. That's all See, I've been talking. It's <laughs> all I've been talking about for months now is football. Um, yeah. I'm going to say it's going to be close. I'll give them the three-two loss in overtime. Okay. And Travis Konechny will score. He will be one. I don't know who's going to be. Uh, you know what? Give Konechny one, and you're going to get a goal out of the fourth line. Boom. Mark that okay. down. Okay. As for Nashville, I don't think they're as good as they were. They obviously lost some uh, some good players. Mike Fisher retired. Uh, James Neal is now in Vegas. Who's the who else did they lose? Name starts uh, with an A. I can't think. Of uh, I don't know. I'm, I'm not sure, but I also they've got uh, they've got some injury issues too, right? Isn't uh, who is it that was hurt in the is Ryan Ellis injured? No, I, I yeah, I think Ryan Ellis is on the IR, so they don't have him. That's that's a blow for the for that game, right? So they're still very good, but yes. they are still good. But um, I don't know. I just I like the Flyers in that game, obviously. The, the Predators still have what I think is one of the top five goalies in the league, Pecorine. But I'm going to give the Flyers the win, 5-2. to two. Five goals against Nashville? Yeah, Oh, my not? God. Let's get bold. Everyone likes hot takes nowadays, so I'm just going to give one. 
Arvidsson, that he is still on the team. That's who I was thinking about. Yeah, right. I, yeah, still All on right. the team. Okay, I'm gonna. You know what? I'm looking at the roster now. Does that mean it's five three win now, not five two? You give an Arvidsson. I'm, I'm gonna. Goal? I'm gonna knock it down. See, the Flyers are. They're gonna be hard. They scored five in the first one. They're gonna be hard pressed to score five again the rest of the season. Like they're. It's just they're gonna. Have, they are gonna have trouble scoring. I'm. I'm, I'm coming off a of five. Uh, three two. No overtime, okay. just 3-2. Three, 3-2, two. Three, two. Uh, got it. Yeah, they still have P.K. Subban. You can't forget about him. Yeah. Pecorine is okay. great. So we we both have the Flyers uh, getting three points out of the next two games, which would be great. It would. If they go home with five points, that's good. Yep. I'm to- sure that's more than the NHL expected them to get when they screwed them in the, with the schedule. <laughs> and screwed the fans. And screw the fans, bastards. Need my but, beauty sleep. Yeah, I was not good at work, but it doesn't matter. It's over with now. Now we get a, uh, I'll be watching the Anaheim game in a drunken stupor as I prepare. Beautiful. At, as I prepare to wake up at 6 a.m. to tailgate the Eagles game. Oh my God, you got quite a weekend plans. I do, I can't I'm jealous. wait. jealous. And I'm going to go, uh, I'm going to go start that weekend. I'm going to put, I'm going to get him put a bow on this excellent episode of getting bullied. Top Dan, one. my friend, if the uh, the people out there want to read you, want to see your tweets, how do they do so? Uh, well, they should follow me on Twitter. Uh, I'm at DSilver88, 88 for Eric Lindros, of course. Will D- you retire the 88 when I the might, Flyers I might, do? I might. I might. Just I knock it Eric. down to eight. I love Eric the Red. Follow me at DSilver88. Uh, and then I'm part of the team at phileasflyer.com. So check us out, www.phileasflyer.com. Uh, follow us on Twitter, too, uh, at Phileas Flyer. We've got a lot of great writers on that site. We've got a number of yes. Dans, too. Uh, I'm not the only Dan there. And, uh, yeah, so check check us out there. We're going to be giving you great Flyers coverage all season long. We sure are. As for me, you could follow me on Twitter at Mark Flagman. I do not write for Phillies Flyer because I am more of a vocal wordsmith rather than a typed out wordsmith. So hear my voice here every week. Now that we're kicked off to another exciting season of Flyers hockey, season 51. And uh, yeah, so we're going to do this all again next week. Maybe Dan will be here. Maybe he won't. Well, uh, you got to stay tuned and find out. So, uh, Here's hoping that we're both correct. The Flyers pick up three points this week, but uh, it all remains to be seen. So until next time, let's go Flyers.